I'm Gabby Nett. Hi, I'm Tom Wren. Hi, I'm Emily Fennigan. Hi, this is Jake Parkinson. Hi, this is Holly Evans. And I'm Ben Hook. In conjunction with Sport SA and the Breakthrough Mental Health Research Foundation, this is Hooked on Sport. Welcome back to another episode of Hooked on Sport. This is episode eight, and today we'll be joined by Australia's most decorated broadcaster, Bruce McAvaney. Whether it's Australian rules football, tennis, horse racing, or the Olympic Games, the voice of McAvaney has been the perfect accompaniment to the action on the small screen. Today, we'll reflect on Bruce's incredible career and how sport at all levels will recover from the pandemic. Thank you to all of you who were connecting with the show and sharing it with your mates. We appreciate it. Hooked on Sport is your virtual sports club for this time when we can't go about our normal sporting club activities. Bruce McAvaney joins me next. Hi, I'm Dominic Tourneau, and you're listening to Hooked on Sport. Bruce McAvaney, welcome. It is uh, the end of April, and the weather we've had, it's probably not a bad time to be self-isolating at home. It's very wintry, Ben. It's hit suddenly, hasn't it? It's... um... That beautiful autumn weather of a week ago is gone, but um, that first sign of winter always uh, gets in the old bones. Wet, windy, and uh, rainy and, and cold. We've got the we've got the trio, the the, the trifecta. It sure have. Well, we've got some trifectas to talk about over the course of uh, this coming weekend with the spotlight on South Australian racing. But before that, Bruce, I mean, what an incredible period! Could you imagine? that you would have got to essentially May and called, what, one game of AFL football for the winter? No, no, <laughs> long odds, Ben. Um, yeah, and um, even, I guess, that first weekend, we didn't know what was in front of us. And it was sort of on that weekend that everything accelerated, didn't it? And uh, we went from having some possibility of getting through, you know, six or eight matches of rounds of matches and uh, and then maybe getting some people back. And then suddenly by the Sunday lunchtime, it was obvious when quarantine was settling and you couldn't travel between states freely that it all had to come to an end and then to reset it. So, yeah, no, no, it, not the only casualty, of course, AFL football in all of this uh, in a sporting sense and uh, lots of other things as well that are even more important, I guess. But, um, yeah, no, no, none of us could have imagined this would be the case. And you had to spend some time isolated yourself i think you spent some time at your house in Goa. yeah so what happened we, we went to Sid, sydney annie and i so because annie had a job with the olympic office up there down seven and she had to be in sydney for that so we were up there for what we thought was about seven months and then we were going to go to tokyo for the olympics and then make our way back to adelaide basically after that but um you know after 12 weeks or whatever it was in sydney uh the olympics were postponed annie's job came to an end so we had to uh make a couple of decisions. We stayed a little bit longer in Sydney than we thought we'd better get home um, because things were getting pretty tight and didn't know whether we could get back. So our daughter lives here, our son's in Melbourne. So we um, drove Frankie, the dog, and with her and Annie, we stopped at Wagga and stopped at Tulibuck uh, overnight. Both those places got back to Goor and um, had to be quarantined for two weeks. So that was tricky because we had a dog to walk and, you know, you hate being confined like that and I like to go for a run but we we managed we didn't put a foot outside the gate except I did go and put the bin outside and collect it um but uh, that's all so yeah that was a bit of a challenge and then about a week ago from when I'm talking to you we were able to uh, at least 
poco head um, outside the gate. But, you know, like everyone else, we're taking things pretty carefully. All of the conversations I've had on this show has been focused on sport, but with a bit of a mental health aside, how have you and Annie dealt with it all? I mean, it's been a, a, a huge turmoil of change, I would imagine. Look, it's a good a good challenge for all of us, Ben. And and how do you? Um, you know, we've got two children, and one's 25 and one's 22, and they're paramount for us in terms of their health. Annie's parents are still alive. Mine are gone, brothers and sisters. So, um, And then, you know, other friends that might be in ill, Ill health or old, even than me. So all of those things you take into consideration, you think about them and hope that everything's being is okay. Um, and then in my own personal situation, and I guess Annie as well, we've been pretty busy, Ben, because we've still been doing the races. The only was only last weekend was the only week we didn't, and now we're back doing another seven weeks. So that takes a lot of work during the week. Um, it's always difficult when I have to balance racing and football anyway and now I don't have to do that at the moment so but we've been pretty busy we've been actually involved in the you know the long telecast we do on a Saturday at our place at Gore we did it from Paddington in Sydney for a couple of weeks as well so you know as I speak to you today I've um, I've done a couple of things on racing I've got a couple of interviews to do tomorrow for the program on Saturday I've been involved in a lot of production meetings for the last two days three days so I've been lucky Ben I've kept busy but I, you know, you think about it a lot. I, I feel like you, you, for me, if I was giving anyone any advice and giving myself some advice and I wasn't maybe busy at work, I, the, you know, the things that you enjoy doing, you don't stop doing those things. And, I, you know, if you've got a bit of structure, you keep fit in, in a physical sense and probably in a mental sense too by just having a few plans and, and you know, not being rigid, 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 but having something when you get up in the morning, that you know, a bit of a purpose. So, I guess that's the way I've gone about my life in a very simple way. So uh, um, that, that's sort of the, how I deal with these types of things. So the running shoes are still getting a workout? They are. Um, if we got back here and I am, I'm so old, Ben, and so injured, I can't run every day. So I run about every fourth day. So I've got a very good wife. Annie went and bought us a exercise bike, <laughs> and then she put it the put it together because I had no idea. And so that's what I do at 6 o'clock every morning. I go out in the shed and go as hard as I can for as long as I can. And then every fourth day I put those shoes on and go for a run. So, yeah, I, um, I'm um, I'm obsessive about, I guess, a few things. And exercise is one of them. I've, I probably started running in a not serious, not elite way. I mean, in a, you know, a way that was part of my life in my early 20s, and I'm 60, nearly 67, so I've been really running for 45 years, I guess. You uh, talk about obsessions and passions. Uh, one of those for you is uh, South Australian racing, and I know you cut your teeth in harness racing, but that uh, obviously developed into uh, racing. It must be a bit of a thrill that South Australian racing really is uh, the national spotlight at the moment. It is, Ben, and look, it's a real opportunity, uh, not just for South Australian racing, but for the sport in general, because, you know, we've got nothing else to watch live, and um, it's the one sport that I guess is, against all the odds, has been able to continue, so, and that was one of the reasons that, you know, the, the, the network, Seven Network, pushed so hard to continue on with racing um, on free-to-air, because we feel like we there's an audience out there for sport, it's not just about gambling, we try and do it in a way that's um, 
beyond that, but with that in mind, of course. But so for South Australia, it's ironic. Uh, here we have COVID nineteen. The um, prize money was a million dollars for the Sangster two years ago. I think six hundred thousand last year and four hundred thousand on Saturday. Uh, similarly, you know the Goodwoods. 750 last year and a million the year before, now 400. And yet the fields are very strong. And, and, you know, James Cummings has got half a dozen horses. And we're going to have live coverage on Free-to-Air Television on 7, along with Racing.com, which is, you know, Station 78 for the next three Saturdays. So it's a fantastic opportunity for Morpherville to showcase itself in a way that's unusual because there's no crowd. But the horse flesh is strong and the races are... You know, they're important. There's four group ones over the next three weekends. They're the only group ones we have in this state. And they are the focus of all attention in terms of the racing world in here in Australia. And we've got some really, really interesting um, horses racing and some big history to be made one way or the other. So, yeah, no, I am excited. I can be frustrating, South Australian racing. It's not what it was. It's got lots of challenges. Um, they're taking small steps, but about to take a, a larger step in the next three weeks. Probably the thing I'm ex- most excited about is, as you said, there's some great horses here, but very few big-name jockeys are coming over, of course, because they would have to go through the process you only know too well, the two-week isolation period. I think there's maybe five or six who've come across two weeks ago from Victoria, but there are some uh, relatively unknown jockeys who are going to get some very exciting rides in the next three weeks, Bruce. 100% right, Ben. I mean, And, and this is a real focus of our coverage is, you know, which of these South Australian jockeys can take advantage of this situation. You know, this is the best chance they've had in 20 years uh, in terms of a group. Um, there are, look, I think all, you're about right. I think all up, uh, the, the four came out, three were in together. Um, Zach Swain was outside that that trio. That was Ethan Brown and um, and Johnny Allen, Dean Holland, and then. Uh, Kayla Crowther came back earlier. Georgina Cartwright, I think, had been here. She might have come back as well. But yeah, you're right. About a half a dozen, and and plus with people like Jason Holder and um, and Dom Tourneur and Todd Panel and Berin Borster and those group of jockeys, they're going to get their chance. You know, no Ollie, no Craig Williams, no Huey Bowman. These guys are not coming over and coming down. So a wonderful opportunity. And it's going to be a real focus over the next three weeks and a big part of certainly what we're going to be talking about and what we're going to be, you know, highlighting. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to that part of it. I just want to touch back on harness racing for a moment. I mean, look, a bit over 20 years ago, we were hosting Inter-Dominions in South Australia at Globe Derby Park. Looking from afar, do you fear for the long-term future of that sport? It's a sport that you grew up with. Yeah, look, I do. Um, And, you know, I was... Uh, so heavily involved with it in a personal sense and and now have a cursory look. Isn't it funny, Ben? I mean, oh, it, something can be such a big part of your world and then if you are disconnected, then it becomes a much smaller part. And even the publications, you know, Harness Racing's no longer out. That stopped about six months ago and I would get that every week of my life and at least I'd follow up through that. Now it's even more difficult. Saturday night, Friday night, there was, there was no football. Uh, there was no big bash cricket. There was there was no tennis finals. It was, you know, quite recently, um, the night of uh, the women's final um, at the Australian Open, um, it was Hunter Cup night in Melbourne. Now, you know, 25 years ago, all eyes would have been on either the showgrounds or Mooney Valley or now Melton with the Hunter Cup. But, you know, it's second, third, fourth fair. So, yeah, look, I, I do. Um, it's, it's still a fantastic sport. 
you know, the big cities have all gone out. Globe Derby, you know, no longer Wavell, we know that. Melton, no longer in inner city Victoria, no longer Harold Park, out to Menangle is a long drive to Menangle, is a long drive to Melton, not such a long drive for Globe Derby, but it's, you know, it's a big ask when people are so busy um, and it's it's floundering um, a bit. The prize money's solid enough. So the other thing with it, Ben, in an insular sense, it's, it's still quite strong. I mean, you know, we talk about Greg Sugars and Paul Gavin Lang who passed away, Chris Alfred, those, you know, those big names, the McCarthy's, but it doesn't transcend anymore. And you mentioned the end of the meaning. So what harness racing has done, it's it's still within a small group, an important part of their lives, but it doesn't it doesn't impact or have an effect on other people's lives that are not within the group now. And those into Dominions, um, I was born in 1953, and I reckon in those first 15 years of my life when I was following, I was following thoroughbred racing as much as harness racing, probably even more to be honest, but I got the first chance to call harness racing. I reckon the Inter-Dominion was second only to the Melbourne Cup. Mm. It was bigger to me than the Cox Plate and the Caulfield Cup, and yet now it comes and goes, and half the time I don't even know if it's here, do you? No, exactly, yeah. It, it, and the, the big SA, the SA Cup and the, the Trotting Cup and those sorts of races, which are in March, I mean, they seem to come and go with that sort of a, a blip on the radar, which is tremendously sad. I mean, we've still got some great characters here in South Australia. The, the Hills, I mean, they are two of the great sporting siblings in South Australia, Wayne and Danielle Hill, and yet, I mean, we just, they, they, they seem to bypass our conscience these days. They do. And you're right, you've picked two good ones there. And look, over the years we've had an extraordinary amount of success. You know, I, as I said, when I was in that 1950s, when South Australia had a great run of those into Dominions, you know, Radiant Venture, Free Hall, Minuteman, those horses all won within a few years of one another in those late 50s, early 60s, young Pedro. Um, it was it was a colossal group. And then we had, you know, Bon Adios and Adios Court and Deep Court. We had five horses in the final of Inter Dominion in 1969. Uh, and, and I think it was a 10-horse final at the Melbourne Showgrounds. We had Adios Court, Deep Court, Bon Adios Bylaw and one at Moonstone Bay. And all those horses in that one race. And yet here, um, I couldn't tell you the best horse in South Australia at the moment. Now, that's I'm not knocking the sport. That's that's my problem because I don't follow it enough, but I, I'm busy with other things. And that, as I said, that's not a knock on the sport, but it's my eyes have been directed in another way. And I'm not sure they'll ever go back to that place. And that's a bit sad. Let's take a short break to hear from John Mannion at the Breakthrough Mental Health Research Foundation. Remember, it's normal to feel stressed, sad and confused at this time. In fact, it's actually okay not to feel okay at the moment. But please remember, reach out. Talking to your trusted family and friends can really help. Remember, try and stay calm and try and keep a routine as normal as possible. This will help you to look after yourself and your loved ones. Let's remember... We're actually all in this together. And now back to the show. I want to talk to you about footy, and I know everyone will quiz you about AFL football, but South Australian football in particular, Bruce, and uh, the Sandfall as it's known now, I and mean, we both grew up with it as the SNFL, but um, the Sandfall, where do you see that competition? Are you uh, concerned by the possibility that we may not see the Magpies in the competition going forward? That would be something, wouldn't it? Because mm. uh, 
You know, been, is it 36 premiers men? I haven't got any facts or figures in front of me. But I think it's 36 that, and one, yes. Yeah, so it, it's, you know, it's it's remarkable. And, you know, they won six premierships when I was a little boy and my mother voted for them in the 1950s in a row and uh, all of those things. So it's complex. Um, look, I, I lost absolute, you know, day-to-day contact with the SNFL uh, when I went to Melbourne in 1983. I, you know, I called for a couple of years with uh, Robert Odie and, we had Ian Day and Peter Marcus in the other commentary team, so I worked closely with all those guys and loved it. And you know, grew up Barrington for Nord and going to all those grand finals with Stuart one in the sixties. So like you, it's, it was a massive part of my life. Um, and you know, I went to Melbourne in nineteen eighty three for sixteen years, and, and 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 you know, because of the lack of coverage there, I I slowly you know got a little less and less and less, and I still follow it but from a distance from a big distance but it's survived the crowds are spotty they can be you know if you can still get that one that jumps out at you um it's the COVID's made it really tricky uh and you mentioned the magpies uh Adelaide and Port going in there I mean I has that been successful Ben I wouldn't have thought so I wouldn't have thought so um I live in Glenelg uh, mostly. Uh, they had a, a year to remember. Um, so look, I guess I'm, what I'm doing is I'm, I'm sort of floundering around because it still means a lot to a fair number of people in this state, but it certainly um, is second fiddle. And um, I'm not sure uh, what it look like in about 10 years time the one the one thing i have struggled to come to terms with is i think the season's too long so this is an outsider looking in ben um and you, you can correct me because I, I i could be wrong on these uh, in this thing but you know three four five six years ago maybe if i look at the the the, uh, the fixture a lot of buys a lot of weekends when there are only two or three matches rather than the full quantity i don't get that I would I, w- I would make the season shorter. I would have every team play one another twice. Uh, every weekend I'd have five matches and then I would conclude that season. You know, in, a, in a shorter space of time, I wouldn't drag it out as long. I think it's been a better thing that the grand finals pre the AFL grand final. I think it is anyway. Maybe it's not for someone that follows it. But I would have thought there are a few things I would have tweaked with anyway if I was if I was trying to make it a, a more watchable, understandable game for those that may not necessarily want to go and see Nord or Port Adelaide or Glendale or North Adelaide every week of their life. Mm. Well, you're right. It is still a, it is now an 18-game season, but the one thing they have added is I think every team has four buys over the course of those Why? 18 weeks to, to beef it out to a season that pretty much reflects the length of the AFL season. And I agree with you. I wouldn't I think do it works. that. I wouldn't do that. I'd I'd start it later, or finish it earlier. I, it's, we, because what happens? You lose that continuity, and you lose. You, you know, you, you, we know in the AFL that um, buys are necessary. But boy, you know, you can't wait to get back to a full round of nine matches, yes. um, and that you know that takes up three weeks of every year. So look. That, that, that's not really the question you asked me in a way, but um, these are just big picture things with the uh, the SA and FL. Uh, how do you reflect not so much on the AFL as an industry, but we've seen 
only in the last few weeks. Two of the greats of South Australian football, Scott Thompson and Marty Matten, are suddenly both out of a job. I mean, it's it's a, there's a tremendous personal toll here, Bruce. There is. And, you know, I read, I think it was today with Scotty saying, look, you know, I understand it and I'm, I'll want to continue to work in the industry or in the fitness industry. So he's a guy that... Uh, you know, he's a, a doer, we know that, but not everybody would maybe take it in the stride like Scotty seems to be. Marty's, you know, as you say, another great South Australian football and looks a very, well, more than a promising coach. He's already got some great runs on the board. So, yeah, it's 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 really tough. And now you hope like crazy that, you know, it's a blip. And, you know, in a personal sense for those two, talking about those two, that, you know, in the next 12 months, there's another opportunity or maybe they're, they're re-employed by the, the two clubs, but and Port Adelaide and Adelaide. But that's maybe not the way things are going to happen because Ben, like everybody else, there is this sense that the, the, um, the amount of money, obviously, uh, in the coaching area, that hard cap is going to be reduced. We know that. Um, you do feel as if there are going to be probably less assistant coaches and maybe less development coaches. Uh, you feel like every industry, um, and I'm talking about, I guess, now the AFL in particular, is going to go through a process where they're going to be a lot more hard-nosed about money and about where it's spent and how it's spent, and maybe there will be less people employed in the sport. Now, that's sad um, because we want to see these people that have contributed so much continue on and continue to contribute in another way. But uh, I think the reality is certainly in the short to, say, medium term, there's going to be a well a tightening of the belt, so to speak, in a generic sense, and um, there's going to be some casualties, and uh, we don't know the full extent of that now. I mean, in the business that I'm in, um, there's going to be massive changes, and, and, and all of us that are involved in anything to do with um, – uh, sport or entertainment, uh, and that's how we earn our living. That this is a a big game changer, um, and 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 uh, how it washes out and ends up, none of us are certain. Yeah, and yeah, you're right. I mean, we're both uh, you as a broadcaster, me who works with a newspaper. I mean, we both have colleagues in media who, yeah, there's a there's a genuine fear. There's there's plenty of appetite for media at the moment, but. The, the revenue to pay for it is uh, is difficult to find. So there's going to be some challenges right across the board. That, that's the trick, isn't it? Because at the moment, the irony is that viewer numbers are high, very high, because you know we're all sort of locked away in a certain sense. But the um, the advertising money's not there because people aren't going into those shops or whatever. In some shops, they are. And we know that some some um, some areas are doing extremely well, but for most areas they're not. So that's the irony of this situation that the viewer numbers, I'll talk TV for a moment, are high, very high, higher than they've been on free to wear for a long time, and yet the networks are finding it very hard to take advantage of that in a in a monetary sense. Will Will football as a code, Australian rules football, not just the AFL, but will it maybe benefit long term from just a bit of a contraction. So we've seen a bit of an arms race at AFL level. Less NFL clubs uh, are often squabbling over money and what they can and can't afford. And that often drifts down to local clubs and country football where country sports contracting, but there's country footballers who are looking for bigger and bigger uh, checks to front up and play each week. Could could football actually maybe benefit from just a little bit of a contraction and maybe gives it an opportunity to equalise it up a little bit? I think so. Uh, you know, 
it's something I think we've all thought about over the last few years as the games continue to, you know, explode in so many ways. And then, you know, and, and most of that stuff I've been thrilled about, you know, it's become such a colossus, hasn't it? You know, talking Australian football here and the but the big one has been, and you touched on it, you know, country football, local clubs, um, and, you know, we get to the SNFL level and you think they're sort of, they're getting a little less and less or a lot less and less and yet the big the big monster's growing and growing and continues to grow we love that bit but we don't like the other bit so much so it's a bit of a rethink um i think we are kind of go through a, a simpler way of life in all sorts of ways and you know i i think in some ways we're not going to expect as much or want as much and maybe that gets us back to some grassroots and there's a, a rejigging in terms of maybe some funding towards what you know governments might think is important and are not important but look i think in the af at, at the highest level certainly um the clubs are and the afl are taking a big hit and they won't recover immediately from that it's going to take a process in a while and there will be a rethink about how we do things and did we go too far with certain things and does that impact on the way the game is played and how many people want to watch it I don't know the answer to it, Ben, but you feel like, yes, something will happen with that. And the one thing we'd always love is that, the, you know, a, a man or a woman, uh, you know, that's in their late 20s or 30s and still go out on a suburban ground or a country oval and have a kick on a weekend and enjoy themselves. I gave up football early because my job um, insisted that I do, not insisted, I made that choice that, uh, but for a lot of people, it's it's such a big part of their life. So I think you're right, Ben, but I'm, you wouldn't swear to anything right now because we don't know how it's all going to end, do we? And we've seen a history of uh, big-time sport that as soon as they've got some money back in the pocket, they'll find a way to uh, offload that on the latest fad or of uh, of the time as well. So uh, that that's my great concern, that as soon as the money comes back in, it'll be heading back out again pretty smartly as well. Look, when yeah, look, you could well be right. I mean, it's um, you know, market forces. A lot of people talk about market forces, but if we take a deep breath now, look, the, the leading um, AFL players, you know, there's probably about a half a dozen or so that get between a million and one point five million or something like that. It's a lot of money, but if you have a look around the world at what some of the, uh, obviously the NFL and NBA and NHL and MLB players, and then um, the biggest sport of them all, football, um, and others. You do wonder whether, um, you know, the Messi's and the Ronaldo's and the LeBron James's, whether, and Tom Brady's, whether they they do need, you know, 30 or 40 or $50 million a year. Uh, maybe five or eight would be good, And but, you know, market forces. So uh, it's, it's, it's an inexact science, but that's one of the things I've been thinking about a little bit over the last few months about, she was, you know, uh, some of that money could be better spent, but it's not the way the world works and not if it's going to change. It's one thing to provide for your family, Bruce, but how many generations do you need to provide for? Hey, while you're <laughs> talking about the NFL, did you notice uh, South Australia has its um, first NFL player on a list? Uh, Matt Leo, did you catch up with that news? Look, I saw it on the news, what, two, three, four nights ago. What a story. Mm. I mean, God, you know, it, it, and that sort of came off the back of the you know, the ex St player as well. So, yeah, look, it's um, amazing. I mean, dreams, aren't they? I mean, and this is, I guess, a relatively new thing. Um, 
I've just left, let the dog out of the bag and she's going to bark. And so, uh, and you know, when younger than me, mate, but when, you know, when I was growing up, it would have been the, the last thing in the world that you think about as being an NFL player. Um, but I always remember, you know, it's a great story. I'm going to die with a sore moment. I'll get out of the wind. I remember, oh, God, you know, I would have been, I don't know how old, but Merv Agar's, you know, was a wonderful yep. um, journalist and a very good footballer. and we know all know him so well, uh, knew him so well, and, and he and Gordon Schwartz and those guys. But I remember Merv being on World of Sport, oh, you know, 45 years ago, maybe 50 years ago, saying he'd been to the American um, uh, Super Bowl and he'd come back and there was a champion player there that had never touched the ball in his whole career. And I looked at my father and said, Dad, how does that work? And Dad wasn't an expert on NFL, so he wasn't sure. But so, yeah. So we, it's, it's, it was a great world because we're exposed to things that we had no idea of in those old days. Yeah. And, um, and and Matt Leo is a, a weak side defensive end who never touches the football. He'll, that's well, exactly the sort of player he is. So, uh, can't, so let you get, can't let you can't wrap this up without just uh, touching on the Olympic Games. I mean, it takes a lot to delay the games. It takes a world war. It takes a, a massacre in nineteen seventy two. It takes a, a bomb in Atlanta in nineteen ninety six, and I think that stopped the games for about. Uh, 12 hours so uh, this is quite significant as someone who has been the voice of uh, the Olympic Games here in Australia for so long how do you reflect on it? It was the right decision Uh, it was a you know and I'm so glad they well they undernarred for a little bit didn't they but you understand that because it's it's not an easy thing to turn around and and uh, and do 12 months later and I think with the IOC they they realised you know, Tokyo had done such a brilliant job, and you know they had uh, had all the facilities basically in place, and they it would have been so devastating because you know already Paris and LA are sort of there and ready to go, so to speak, in 24 and 28. So what do you do with it? So the postponement was the right decision, not the cancellation, but it was a tough. But once that decision was made, I think it gave everyone you know that certainty, that clarity, which everyone wanted, particularly the athletes. Um, so the right decision uh, in these extraordinary times, and you've summed up exactly what stopped the Olympic Games in the past perfectly. So I'm, um, yeah, it's just sort of the on hold button, Ben, still, you know, thinking about it and doing some work on it, but probably get an extra 12 months to try and do a decent job. But will they definitely, definitely be on next year? No one knows. Uh, you'd think there's a better than 50-50 chance. I think there is. Um I hope so, uh, because the generation of athletes will miss. Um, you know, very few get a chance to go to a couple. I mean, the, the percentages you'd know are all about. Maybe you get to one, and then, and then after that. So let's hope. Let's hope. But um, yeah, no, remarkable. I mean, you just pinch yourself, and hard to believe, isn't it? So what we would have been, what July twenty-four, not too far away. All those big athletic meetings would be starting the Diamond Leagues and swimming championships or, or selection trials, which were going to be held later this year, of course, uh, would have been on in a few weeks' time and all of those things to look forward to, get our head around all those results and all that excitement, let alone all the you know things like the French Open and Masters Golf that would have been played. So it's a different world that we're living in at the moment. But the right decision, the only decision that could be made, and look, it's been said, and I believe it too, if, if it does go ahead next year in its full glory, and that's the only way I hope it goes ahead, it will be a games like no other because I think there'll be just a spilling out of emotion. It was going to be anyway because 
Japan and Tokyo built this around, um, you know, the nuclear reactor situation and the tsunami and 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 a lot of that emotive um, things that they've suffered in recent years, and it was going to be uh, just a, a great swirl of national pride. And, It'll, it'll be that and some more, I think, if, if we can get there in July next year. Hard for uh, athletes to peak in 2021 when they're planning on peaking in 2020. Same for broadcasters? <laughs> um, well, hopefully easy for broadcasters. I don't think I've got any excuses, actually, because I, I won't. if I pull a hammy, it's not going to make much difference to my preparation. But, um, no, actually... Probably beneficial, but I always feel like I'm underdone. Um, so I, no, no, that shouldn't make. The only thing is at my age, maybe you've made. Actually, you've probably made a very good point. At my age, I, I'm probably you know that grey matter gets a little bit more <laughs> difficult to deal with every year. So you could, you might have made a good point. Uh, I hope I can last that long. Um, but for the athletes, um, yeah, look for some. You know, you look at Eleanor. I'll pick one per Eleanor Patterson. You know, she was the high jumper who had been in the wilderness for four, five, six years, and suddenly, bang. You know, got that Australian record and uh, equal that Australian record, and yeah, so she's just one. That and high jumpers have good years and bad years. So she was one I was thinking about a lot. And you know, Kelsey Lee Barber, who had all the all the momentum of being the world champion, well, she'll still be that, but it will be be a little bit further back. So yeah, no, lots of challenges. Um, Kyle Chalmers obviously is one that's going to be on our minds in South Australia, uh, as probably as much as any athlete I think in the whole country. So. Yep, no, um, it's it's going to be a challenge, that's for sure, and uh, hard to get it right every four years, and that's the challenge of being an Olympic champion in any sport. Before we wrap it up, uh, Bruce, the Hutt Street Centre's uh, redevelopment plans were approved this week. I know you're uh, a great supporter of the Hutt Street Centre. That must mean a lot. It does, and they've been through some hard times, Ben. You know, the last two, three years have been tricky, and Coxie is no longer there. He's, he's moved on, he's, and, 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 and the board of done a phenomenal job um and um yeah look i'm thrilled a bit and, and annie my wife uh, uh, has more to do with the center than i do but and you know we, we do we feel um a real involvement and we're thrilled a bit i must say that both liberal and labor government have been very supportive ben uh you know stephen marshall's been extremely supportive um, um and labor as well um and and that's that's been I think uh, a very good thing. Um, and you look at a day like today, we started this conversation talking about the weather. Well, you know, you think about Hutt Street on these cold, wet, windy nights, and uh, at least during the day they can go in and get a good feed and feel warm and feel safe and and maybe have a chance to uh, get some digs of their own. So, uh, yeah, no, I'm thrilled a bit like. Bruce, absolutely fascinating. We've taken up way more of your time than I think we suggested we were going to. We really appreciate it. Thank you for joining us. Pleasure, Ben. All the best. You're listening to the Hooked on Sport podcast, your virtual sports club. Well, I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Bruce McAvaney as much as I did. While his focus is on AFL football and elite international sport, it is quite incredible to hear him discuss local and state league competitions with such passion, enthusiasm and knowledge. Well, that wraps up Episode 8 of Hooked on Sport. And when you finish listening to this show, perhaps give the EP footy show on Facebook a listen. It focuses on the Air Peninsula Leagues. There's three of them. And the show is doing a great job of keeping the huge footy community connected over on the West Coast. My old cricket rival, Andrew Frick, is doing a wonderful job. 
That's the last word on episode eight. Thanks for tuning in. As always, our gratitude to Sport SA and the Breakthrough Mental Health Research Foundation with support from Business SA and SA Health. We're at Hooked on Sport on Facebook. Get in contact, say hi, and share with us what your club is up to. Thank you to Ben Watson, who created and performed the musical intro to Hooked on Sport, and to the show's production team, Wallace Long and Desiree McMahon. Be kind to one another, and we'll chat again soon at Hooked on Sport.